All right, all right, all right. Day 212. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our selves. All right, so we're in the thick of the book of Ezekiel. And my man Ezekiel is giving these oracles of judgment. He is seeing visions. A lot is going on, uh, but they are all directed towards God's people, towards the rebellious house of Israel, particularly uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so in 13, we pick up right where we left off. And the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, yo, I need you to go and prophesy. Listen, against the false prophets. Now, one of the major roles, listen, one of the major roles in the Old Testament of the true prophetic office of the true prophets was to rebuke the actual false prophets in the land who would lead God's people astray, right? And Moses, listen, Moses warned God's people that these false prophets would rise up in the land, that they would rise up in the time of the nationhood of Israel. And he was saying, no, no, even in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18, he was like, no, no, this is how you distinguish between a legit prophet and a false prophet. Right. And it's interesting because he says this in verse nine, he says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and speak lying divinations. Right. So just stop right there. Uh, one of the things he's bringing up with the lying divinations, in other words, in the ancient world, uh, there were alternate ways that uh, prophets and people tried to receive revelation from the gods with an S. And what God is saying is that there was only one way to receive revelation and know the divine will. It is to go to God without an S, right? And so there were many ways uh, in terms of uh, magic, uh, divination, necromancy, all these things are rebuked uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, in the um, in the book of Deuteronomy. But um, this is what exactly what they were doing here. And he says this too in verse 10, he says, uh, since they have led my people astray by saying peace when there's no peace, and since when a flimsy uh, wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash, he's going to bring his judgment. Now, um, not only were they uh, guilty of divination and that kind of stuff, um, they were also speaking lies. They were also um, uh, uh, saying things that the Lord didn't say to them, right? But they were also uh, in the business of giving these ear tickling messages, as Paul would say it. And they would give false hope, false assurance, and false security. Listen, when the people of God were wilding out. In other words, like I said before, they were uh, the pro, uh, the prototypical prototypical false prophet was Satan himself, uh, warning not warning the people or not warning um, uh, Eve uh, of God's judgment. And, and and so this is the same thing here. It was a false security that Satan gave in the garden, and it's a false security here, right? With the lies that um, the false prophets are telling. And so God is going to judge them. He says they have not received a word from the Lord. And it's interesting because, um, again, I've said it before to Peter. Second uh, Peter says this. Basically, man, in our own day, this stuff still exists. Right. And one of the best ways, listen, one of the best ways we can guard and insulate ourselves from false teaching is to fill our, mind, our minds with uh, sound teaching. Right. We insulate ourselves from false teaching when we fill our minds with sound teaching teaching. And this is why Bible intake, right? Studying the scriptures, uh, prayerfully reading and taking in God's word is so key, right? As I said, as I've said before, the better we know God's voice, the better equipped we will be to turn from the serpent's voice. Israel needed to hear that same message as well. Chapter 14 comes. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts 
and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? Basically, what happens in 14 is that the elders of Israel were coming up to Ezekiel. Say, fam, Zeke, we need a word from the Lord, right? But at the end of the day, they were coming up to Ezekiel asking for a word from the Lord, but their actual hearts uh, were filled with idols, right? Their idols were still lodged firmly within their hearts. And God is like, fam. If they are coming to me asking for me for anything, I will answer them based off of the one who is uh, based off of what is truly driving their hearts and their motives and their intentions. So in other words, the Lord doesn't just look at outward appearances. He doesn't just look at the prayers we say on Sunday. He doesn't just look at the scriptures we post on Instagram. He looks at our hearts. Right. Listen, listen, some of the, some of our biggest problems are not what we do on the outside. It's about who we've let inside. Right. Some of us haven't just let idols into God's temple, as the people of God did here in Ezekiel. But we've let idols into our temple, right, into uh, our own hearts. And they've made their home there. Right. And the Lord sees this. Right. And he calls it out for what it is. And he says this for this is what the Lord says. How much worse will it be when I send my four devastating judgments against Israel? Right. Sword, famine. Uh, dangerous animals and plague in order to wipe out both people and animals uh, from it. I love it because uh, in this text, he's going to go uh, in about that. And God even says in this text, he says, uh, yo, if Noah, Daniel and Job were in the land, right, I wouldn't spare the land on behalf of them. In fact, I would save them and wipe everyone else out with sword, famine and plague. Now, it's so good because um, in other words, what he's saying is <sighs> because of uh, uh, texts like um uh, uh, Genesis 18, where, where, where Abraham intercedes and, um, he, he's going before the Lord and he's like, yo, Lord, if you just find a few, a righteous few, the Lord is like, uh, yeah, if you could just find a few, I would save the whole city. Right. And, um, Abraham has to keep decreasing the number. Right. Um, because there's not, uh, any righteous people in the land. Uh, that, that I think that text is dialoguing with this text in some sense, but it's interesting because, um, the Lord is saying that, hey, like uh, sin is pervasiveness, right? It, it's pervasive it's pervasive amongst all of God's people. And I think that the Lord, I think what he's trying to say here, though, is that the Lord holds everyone accountable for their own sin, right? It is no other person, listen, that can uh, absolve you from your own guilt. Now, it's so good, and it's so good because this is all throughout the Bible, actually. Now, it's, the, the reason this is so good, man, is because um, in the New Testament, what happens it's the same thing. Paul's a Paul's a Jew, fam. Paul's a Second Temple Jew, right? So he's he's in these scripts, heavy, more heavy than we are. Listen. So what Paul says, fam, is so good. He says, "Yo, you know what happens in the gospel? It's not. It's it's technically. I want to be careful with my language. Yes, Jesus dies on our behalf. Yes, but what Paul says is, he says, no, no, no. It's everyone who is in Christ is a new creation, right? Uh, we are the righteousness of God in him. It is, in other words, we have to be engrafted and folded into the person of Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is why the gospel is, is, is so infinitely wise because what the Lord is saying is like, no, no, like I don't leave the guilty unpunished. Like I, like people have to account for their sin. And so what you have to do in order to be saved, you have to be in Christos Jesus, right? You have to be in Christ Jesus, right? You have to be engrafted into Christ. You have to become, he was saying 1 Corinthians 6, one with Christ. So in other words, when, when he died, that's what Paul can say in Romans chapter 6, um, when Christ died and rose, it, you rose too. You died and rose too because you're 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 engrafted and enfolded into him and it's like language won't even let me go further and I want to go further. It is as if you did it, right? And so the Lord it's so good. And he's faithful to his word. You see how God is still faithful to his word, but he still makes a way for his mercy to pervade as well. So good. So much we can go there. That's a whole nother podcast. Anyway, back to Ezekiel. Um, Yeah, God is clear. He talks about the curses coming down. 15 comes and you get this subsection. 
This subsection in Ezekiel 15, 16, and 17 actually are going to talk about these parables. Some have argued uh, they're more like allegories. That's a whole other podcast as well. But what he does is this. Um, in the subsection, Ezekiel is indicting the nation of Israel still. But this time in particular, he's going to use uh, these literary kind of stories. And um, we see that parables um, are not, uh, uh, did not originate in the New Testament. Right. They actually came from the Old Testament. Right. And so I think even uh, Jesus is um, carrying out his prophetic office and his prophetic function on earth as the end time, last day, latter day prophet uh, by using parables. Anyway, Ezekiel comes and he's like, yo, um, he, he basically gives this parable of this vine branch. Right. Excuse me. And, and the vine branch was supposed to be uh, fruitful. It was supposed to produce fruit. But uh, we, we, we got to remember that this is even this is this isn't new right like so remember adam in the garden be fruitful and multiply uh, uh isaiah chapter 5 uh it comes up later with, with jesus and i believe luke chapter 20 but um they were all israel was supposed to be fruitful for the lord they were supposed to uh, uh produce literal fruit right be fruitful and multiply in terms of offspring but also a spiritual type of fruit of righteousness and um he's saying hey like this vine is useless because it hasn't produced any fruit right in other words uh uh it's actually uh, hasn't hasn't been good for anything <laughs> and instead of being fruitful they have actually uh uh done nothing but been able to feel the fire right the fire of god's judgment and so um he compares them to this useless vine moral story i think uh, god wants to say to us he wants his people to be fruitful uh, a fruitful faith is a genuine faith ezekiel 16 comes last chapter of this bunch and it's um it's so good it's so much here and we don't have time to get into all of it uh actually one of my favorites but um god is going to compare his people in extended fashion to an adulterous wife. And he starts from their birth, right? He talks about the umbilical cord not being cut, all this kind of stuff, and how they were born and how he uh, cared for them and, and, and loved them and um, uh, and married them, right? He he brought them to himself. And what he's saying is this, um, we entered into a covenant in Mount Sinai, and it's uh, essentially a marriage covenant, right? And he gives the history. And I love the way, like how poetically he speaks of it because he uses very explicit language to talk about the judgment and, and to talk about the way that, Hey, like we were married. This is the, this is, um, the best way human language can describe, describe our relationship with you. Right. Uh, it is as if we are, uh, united in marriage. Um, but what he says is that you have cheated, essentially, right? You've been uh, promiscuous. You've been adulterous. Remember, all adultery is sin for sure, but all sin is adultery, right? It is, it is, it is, it is breaking of the covenant that the Lord had, has established with us. And he's like, yo, y'all have prostituted yourselves with other gods, right? Y'all have uh, uh, slept with uh, other gods. And he's super clear about that. And one of the things I love is the um, kind of familial language, right? So he'll say, your father was... Uh, an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite and he talks about Samaria being your sister and uh, Sodom being your sister and he says he uses all of this familiar language because to say this listen Hittites and Amorites came from Canaan right they, they're they're technically Canaanites right they fall under the umbrella of Canaanites and so the Canaanites remember were judged the book of Joshua uh, and Judges uh, all the way up to like first and second Samuel they were judged because of their sinfulness Deuteronomy 18 Leviticus 18 and so the Lord is like no no like Y'all really like take after them, right? Then he says, your sister is Samaria, right? That's the Northern kingdom that was taken off to exile 722 BC. He talks about your sister being Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Genesis. Uh, and so like the Lord is just saying like, you are related to them. But he also says, you're worse. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. Like, like 
they was wilding, but y'all are actually worse. And so they like, it is like as if humanity, like God's people in particular have gotten worse over time. And so he, he is super clear uh, about that and about the judgment. But once again, he ended off, he ended off saying, Hey, in the same way, that I will restore Samaria in the same way that I will restore Sodom and Gomorrah is the same way I will restore you, Judah. And he says, listen, he says, um, I will do this through, uh, you broke the covenant, the old covenant, but guess what? I'm going to do it through the permanent covenant. Now, the permanent covenant in short, in miniature, is basically the prophets. They all use the same language. They call it the eternal covenant, a permanent covenant, a covenant of, of peace, a covenant of salt. Um, and it's basically the new covenant. They're prophesying of the new covenant with the personal work of Jesus. We know that because we're on the backside of the cross with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, um, it's so good though, because you know what he says? He says this, he says, um, at the end of, uh, 16, he says, I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. Listen, so that when I'm, when I hmm, make atonement for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace. This is the Lord's that this is the question of the Lord God. Listen, even in the old Testament, there was this reality that God not a lamb, not just a lamb, not just uh, a priest, but God himself had to atone for his people's sins. God himself had to pay for his people's sins. And God himself was the only one who could forgive his people's sins. That's when we come to the New Testament. Jesus Christ being fully man. Yes, absolutely. But also God himself was the only one fit to atone for a sinful, rebellious humanity, right? May we remember today the lengths that God himself went to bring us to himself. Let's pray. God, we ask uh, that you would jog, jog our theological memory, that we remember the lengths that you went in the personal work of Jesus Christ to atone for our sins so that we could be with you forever. It's in Christ's name.